tits, ass, and giant cock. Today, we talk about Boogie Nights. I'm Brian, and this is Video Store Wasteland. Welcome back to our show, second episode. Good to have you all back. Uh, so, like I said before, we are talking about Boogie Nights today. Again, this is a movie that before today I'd never seen before. I'm glad I watched it. Great movie. So, it's uh, from Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, Boogie Nights is a period piece about the late 70s, uh, early 80s porn industry. And uh, if we know anything about that, we know it's a... Uh, very marked by hair, mustaches, and sexy, sexy bass music. Uh, so, it, like I said before, it is an interesting movie to watch now, especially since there is this sort of large normalization of the porn and porn industry through certain sites like OnlyFans and Pornhub. So, but, you know... That 70s era is definitely marked by seediness that to some degree has been removed thanks to sort of, I guess you would call the democratization of uh, the the porn industry in that way. But uh, it's still very much present. And, uh, you know, we'll they'll see a lot of that in the movie. We'll talk about it. And a lot of the characters are sort of shady in their personalities and sort of the uh, uh, way that the movie treats the industry as a whole. You'll you'll see that through it. But, uh, you know, first let's uh, talk about a little bit of the background of the movie through, uh, you know, who's in it. Uh, so Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, he's done movies like Punch Drunk Love, which we will talk about later, one of my favorites. Uh, there Will Be Blood, The Master, Inherent Vice, and he's done a lot of music videos. Uh, he's done a lot for, like, Haim, which... Uh, if you don't know, it's a pretty good band. I like them. Uh, so, and also to clue you in on my notes, most of the actors did not go by their actual names uh, because we have Mark Wahlberg and uh, he is Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Then we have uh, Burt Reynolds, who you know was in Smoking the Bandit. Uh, so for for Mark Wahlberg in this movie, sort of his breakout role before this, like I said, he was Marky Mark in Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. He was a singer. And uh, he was just doing a lot of that. He was kind of here and there in uh, different TV movies. He was in Basketball Diaries uh, as Mickey. But this is really where he comes out as Mark Wahlberg. He's no he's no longer Marky Mark after this movie, you know. Uh, this is really where he shows his, his chops and... Like throughout the whole movie, you you believe you believe that he's this uh, this actor or this porn actor coming up and uh, trying to make himself be the best that he can be. Uh, now, originally, he wasn't gonna do this. He was gonna go into uh, doing Showgirls, which is a very very well it depends on how you how you look at it and what context you watch showgirls it is not a good movie but you know like i said it depends on the context uh but after he read the script it changed his mind and let me tell you something this the script for this movie just is fantastic we'll we'll talk about it later after we get through more of the background of, of the movie and the characters uh so like i said burt reynolds in it 
Uh, he was Smokey and Smoking the Bandit. He was in Deliverance, the original Longest Yard, uh, Cannibal Run. He was the voice of the lead dog in All Dogs Go to Heaven. Uh, but really, his peak was in Smoking the Bandit. Uh, and sort of after that period ended, so like the late 70s, mid 80s, he was not really the same guy he was before. Uh, he was doing a lot of TV shows and stuff, and um, other sort of uh, projects like that. But this movie really revived his career, and to date, it is only Oscar nomination. And this is even coming after him hating the movie because of the subject material, because it is it is a movie about pornography, and most actors don't want to get involved in something like that because they're serious actors, which. Uh, well, another character in the movie, uh, Buck, who is played by Don Cheadle, he is played by this, and we'll talk about it when we get to the discussion of the movie. Uh, the other people in this movie would be Julianne Moore, who was in like Big Lebowski. She was in the Psycho remake, Lost World, Magnolia, being, uh, Benny and June. Uh, then we have Heather Graham, who was in uh, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me, Swingers, Austin Powers, uh, sort of movies like that. Uh, so this movie was released in 1997. Uh, I was very young, so I guess it's a good thing I didn't watch it before today because uh, it'd be a very inappropriate movie for a... Uh, I'm not going to just age myself, but a young me, uh, under 10-year-old me to watch this movie. But uh, the movies that did come out in that year are The Lost World, which is the sequel to the Jurassic Park uh, movie, Star uh, Starship Troopers, which, fantastic movie, Con Air, Perfect Blue, Contact, Goodwill Hunting, Chasing Amy, Titanic, which, don't have to say too much about that movie, it's Titanic. Uh, Men in Black, as good as it gets, Liar Liar, Fifth Element, so we have movies like that coming out in that year, and, uh, you know, and Boogie Nights. So uh, let's just jump into what I want to talk about a little bit today, which uh, a lot of times for me in movies, uh, there is a good good point to say about the historical context of it. And this one being that it is a period piece, it is kind of important to understand the context of what was going on in the late 70s, the early 80s, and sort of the attitudes in America towards adult entertainment and sort of... Uh, you know, people who get who are involved in, in uh, such industries. Uh, so a little bit background in born in the 70s in America. It's crazy to think that I did research with scholarly articles on this, but I did. So uh, here we go. So the U.S. has uh, this thing called obscenity laws, uh, which is to prevent the distribution of sort of obscene materials. And the way that they determine, and by they, I mean the courts, they determine a uh, material is obscene is by through putting it through something called the Miller test, which uh, involves determining whether the average person applying contemporary community standards would find the work taken as a whole appeals to the prurient, which uh, this means uh, it's arousing or it's in moderate, it, it elicits a moderate interest, AKA it makes you horny whether the work describes or depicts in a patently offensive way sexual conduct or excretory functions. So, you know, excretory meaning releasing sort of waste from your body, specifically defined by applicable state law, uh, and whether the work 
taken as a whole lacks serious literary, artistic, or political or scientific value. So essentially what it says in total would be, does it elicit immoral thoughts, quote-unquote immoral thoughts? Uh, Does it describe sexual conduct in sort of an offensive way defined by a particular state's laws? And we'll get down to a certain case that happened in California uh, next. And whether it just lacks sort of value to society. So if it doesn't add to sort of culture or anything like that, then then you would be able to describe something as obscene. Uh, And more backgrounds into what happens in the United States. 1969, President Lyndon B. Johnson, who formed the President's Committee on Obscenity and Pornography to study the negative effects of pornography on the public. And that committee found nothing wrong with it. They even said that it would uh, uh, encourage married couples to talk more about it to uh, more, as in more talk more about sex for them to actually do it more, which, you know, I guess, but whatever. We're not here to talk about that. Uh, 1980s, good old Ronald Reagan, and uh, I'm not going to get into him, uh, sought to curb pornography with the focus in California, and this is where the case I was talking about, the case called The People versus Freeman in 1988, comes in. And this uh, particular case is uh, where a porn director named Harold Freeman was being charged as a pimp because of the manner he was getting the talent for his uh, films. Uh, and it's particularly for a film called Caught from Behind Part 2. I'm just going to let you ruminate on that. Totally sounds offensive, but uh, what it is is that he filmed it in a private residence and the production was closed off to the public and he paid the featured actors as well as a modeling agency to provide some of the talent to him. And uh, Freeman then was charged with five counts of pandering under California's pimping statute, which uh, he appealed and was denied without citation or analysis. So they just told him, you know, we're not, we don't want to hear what you're saying. We don't, we don't care what you're doing is wrong, immoral, and illegal. Good old Reagan's America, you know? Uh, but with Freeman, he argued that the prostitution statute did not fit his conduct because there was no, quote-unquote, sexual gratification inherent to the sexually explicit performances, which means that the actors didn't get off. They were just there doing just that. They were acting. So on these grounds, his conviction was overturned. And, uh, you know, that brings us up to sort of where the movie takes place. Since the movie takes place late 70s, early 80s, this is where that movie lives in and lives in that world where these people who are in the adult industry, you know, the word pornographer is is thrown around in this movie as a an insult. And, you know, it's still... It, still to this day because of the sort of Puritan influence of uh, how the America was founded. And coincidentally, I am recording this on uh, Columbus Day slash Indigenous Peoples Day. So however you look at it, you know, something that America is very, very Puritan in uh, in everything uh, that, that we do. There's still that sort of tinge of uh, Puritanical thought in, in even legislation. Um so yeah, that's uh, it's a little bit of background that I have on the movie and sort of what uh, what sort of thoughts were 
circling in the zeitgeist in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, so that's enough for my cursory research. Now, like, like I was saying before, these uh, attitudes towards pornographers and it being on the outskirts of polite society does play a major role in some of the characters, and we will discuss it next. Uh, but first, let me just say something about uh, Paul Thomas Anderson and the way that he just... It, the movie is is beautiful. Like, beginning to end, everything that he shoots is so beautifully done. The shot selection is amazing. The way that he frames shots, it just draws your attention to what's going on. And just, you don't want to take your eyes off the screen, even though most of it is just actors in sort of 70s houses. It's not like there's big set pieces like there would be in modern movies. It's very much so almost almost a home movie-ish. Not, not, not in the sense that that's how it looks. It's just that that's where the, the movie takes place. It takes place in houses in the 70s. It takes place on certain movie sets, but um, it's not really taken too far back from, from that. Uh, it, it's just... Paul Thomas Anderson, I can't say enough about him. Just if you watch all his movies, just notice the how how everything just looks beautiful. So for an example, this beginning the opening shot of it is is sort of a this long tracking shot that introduces you to every single character in the movie. So you you get introduced to Luis Guzman's character, then it goes through, follows him around, then you see Heather Graham's roller girl, then you see John C. Riley and John Cheadle on the dance floor, then you sort of uh, get to know who Burt Reynolds is as a character, as, as well as Julianne Moore, and then finally we come up to Mark Wahlberg's character, who starts off as uh, Eddie Adams, not even his, uh, you know, porn alter ego yet. And uh, what we have there is just beautiful. There's not even that much interaction or talking between the actors, but you know, like, hey, these guys, this is what the movie's, who the movie's about. You really don't need to be like, hey, I'm this person. Like, no, it's beautifully done without even, without even saying anything. It's great. And uh, because of these characters that are introduced, you get sort of a sense of what their relationships will be in, in later on in the movie. They sort of do form this strange family dynamic, and the movie is kind of about that a lot because uh, Eddie Adams, who does become uh, Dirk Diggler, his, his, whole, his whole motivation to even become Dirk Diggler is the fact that he has a broken family environment. His mother is very much so... Uh, very teetotaling, uh, very disappointed in him, even though, even though, you know, it's, he's trying to do the best he can in his life. And, uh, he dropped, you know, he dropped out of high school. He's working multiple jobs, working at a nightclub and his mom doesn't like the fact that he comes home late. And it's, she yells and screams at him, tells him that, that he's stupid, that he's good for nothing. And, and like, it is the nineteen said the movie starts in nineteen seventy seven and uh there's motivation for him just to leave, and that's motivation enough and it's great because it's the way that that Mark Wahlberg acts in that scene you can tr- you could believe that he's actually crying at that moment and uh there's a interesting little tidbit that the actress who played the mom asked 
Paul Thomas Anderson if it's based on his real life, and he just sort of was quiet. You know, that's a lot of personal stuff does come out in writing, and the way that uh, you sort of react to your your life you put out in your writing or you put out in your art, that's what, that almost marks the... uh, uh, a good writer separate from 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 someone who's not someone who who writes from their experience right from a writes from a personal space in their life personal place and uh if it, you could feel that come out a lot in the movie because there's there's times where people feel so low and, and and you could tell that they're down and out and it just feels real and, and you know a lot of that is the writing and, and some of that does come out from uh from the actress performances which is great you know this is mark Wahlberg who could who <laughs> who thought that uh you know marky mark from marky mark of the funky bunch would be able to to act the way that he does and it you know it's great family so themes of family do come back ever they're ever present in the entirety of the movie and so Maggie's character, who was also Amber Waves, that's her, you know, stage name, who's played by Julianne Moore, does go through this battle to try to get her son back from her ex-husband who took her to court to, you know, separate completely from from that sort of life that she was in because at that point she would have already been known as a pornographer and, you know, 1970s and early 80s, it's not really a good thing to hear, uh, you know, that, that your, your spouse is doing that. Uh, you know, we have little Bill's character who is played by William H. Macy. He's sort of, you know, cut through the whole movie and that drives him to this point of insanity where he ends up shooting her and himself and at the, a new year's party that marks the beginning of the end of 19, the, the 1970s and the beginning of the 1980s sort of, you know, brings it off with a bang. Uh, so that sort of interesting idea of family dynamics from broken people does come up again and again because strangely these people are attracted to each other in that sense that they uh, they need each other for that support. Uh, Roller Girl, played by uh, Heather Graham, she does try to get uh, Maggie to adopt her because you know she has she she one Maggie's lamenting the loss of uh, Dirk Diggler because he does go off and do try to do his own thing after a blow up on set, which is caused mostly by a coke-addled brain, and you know lamenting the loss of that that uh, of that person in her sort of family because she accepted him as a son and she you know Roller Girl wants to have a mother and. They have this sort of weird emotion, emotion-filled, drug-fueled sort of uh, coming together of uh, quote-unquote a family, uh, and bring it all up back with uh, Burt Reynolds' character. He sort of acts as the the father figure of everybody because he's trying to protect everybody from from you know from outside influences, and uh, you know towards the middle of the movie, like I said. The, you know, beginning of the eighties, uh, a producer bigger than than Burt Reynolds, whose his character's name is Jack Horner. Which, interestingly enough, Jack Horner is also the name of the paleontologist who was the consultant on Jurassic Park. But uh, you know, strange coincidence are just that strange coincidences. And uh, that movie also the movie also deals with that 
that sort of evolution of one one form of the industry to the other. So it goes from film to tape, and uh, at this point, uh, Jack Horner's character has been trying to uh, sort of create more serious adult films uh, on film, and he's trying to create a film that he will be remembered by. And, you know, when he's presented with the thought of doing things on video, he sort of has a freak out because, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not, you know, a cheap person. The, this new producer is trying to get him to do things on tape and do things with amateurs. And he's not into that at all. He wants to do film with actual actors and, uh, and you know, how much of an actual actor can anyone be really in this environment? At uh, at a certain point, you know, because everything gets built up. Uh, Mark Mark Wahlberg's character has a rise to fame, and with any any rise for anybody, there's going to be a fall. And there's a f- the way that the falls are presented in this movie slowly and gradually. They're they're so well done and so well written. So with uh, Dirk Diggler's character, when he does have that blow up on on uh, on set, he eventually goes to doing music and and then tries to do other things uh that would help him to retain his name but because of his addiction to cocaine and you know that's a hell of an addiction to beat uh that he eventually just goes back to what he was doing before and that was you know showing people his his member and you know playing with himself in front of people and that ends up with him getting beat up and he goes crawling back to try to sell, uh, sort of sell off bacon soda as cocaine, which ends up in a horrible shootout where, where you know, I, I, I at that point, if I were involved in that, I, I <laughs> that would be the end of me doing whatever I was doing that led me into that situation. Uh, same thing with like Jack Horner's fall. Uh, Burt Reynolds' character, the fall for him would, is that, accepting the fact that he has to do things on tape, and he's not wanting to do that. He wants to be that serious guy that that wants to have respect in the industry that he's doing. And eventually he does, like, man-on-the-street sort of uh, videos that uh, resemble just amateur stuff, and he's not into it because the person he picks up to try to hook up with the roller girl ends up essentially assaulting her. And and he's not, you know, he's not into that. He, he wants people to be respectful to the talent, and he ends up beating up the dude and leaving him on the street half dead. And and uh, during this time, too, this is where Buck's sort of arc of family comes to a, a point where, you know, he does, he's able to meet somebody who loves him. He has a wife with, and, and they're having a kid. And, and at that point, uh, he's been rejected for a uh, bank loan because, again, the, the attitudes towards pornography, which attitudes still are kind of prevalent today. Uh, and, you know, with him, he gets caught in the middle of sort of a shootout. And, you know, what 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 else are you supposed to do <laughs> at that point other than, than try to get yourself all together? Uh, you know, the guy who goes into the the shop where he's at, you know, takes money, but, you know, the money is left there because everyone's dead. So he takes that and uses that for seed money for his his project, what he wants to do, which is open a video, st- uh, video store, a uh, uh, stereo store, uh, since it is sort of that uh, 80s, 70s, 8-track, uh, you know, time where, where vinyls and 8-track were the, were the big thing. Um, 
And, uh, you know, that's, that's where we get to this point where after the culminations of everybody's sort of peak and their fall, uh, they just sort of come back together and, and form f- some sort of family again because at the end of it, they, they, they only know one thing, and that thing is, you know, the industry that they were in. But they do it all together again. So Dirk comes back to work with Burt Reynolds' character, uh, Jack. So does Mag in the role. Everybody just comes back together. Again, like they're one big broken family. And as 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 an unorthodox as the approach is, it does sort of give you a clue into what happens with when people who are of similar sort of uh, backgrounds in terms of their traumas and tragedies come together. They they form support, and that's that's what they have. At the end, they just have themselves for support. Um, so I'll just leave with that in terms of the story. I I would say watch it. I don't want to say too, I, you know, as is, I've already, <laughs> you know, spoiled most of the movie, but uh, it's still something I'd say I'd watch. Cool things about it that that I thought were cool is that uh, whenever they, they showed the 70s porno reels and there's also um, interviews from the 70s, what, what they would do is they would shoot, uh, how they would shoot it is they would do a projection of the reel on a screen and then film that with a 35 millimeter camera. And that was sort of the same method that they used in the 70s uh, for, or 70s and the 80s for pornos is that they would play a tape on TV and turn off the lights and then film it with the 35 millimeter camera. The effect on screen is fantastic. I love it. It's great. It, it looks, the whole movie just looks great. It, all in all, this is what I would recommend, recommend the movie for. It's just how how beautiful it looks beginning to end um so yeah uh that's uh what i would say about about the movie and would would i recommend it yeah yeah definitely like it's a really great soundtrack it really goes with sort of the progression of time in the film you get that sort of disco 70s with uh classic rock uh late 70s early 80s stuff and you know makes you think if this is where James Gunn got the idea of having that sort of soundtrack in movies because it goes fantastic in here and it goes great with the narrative you know maybe that's where he got it it's a wild movie great story if it were done today it would definitely be with the seediness of OnlyFans and how that is the new thing Uh, but yeah uh, that's 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 what I got to say about Boogie Nights. Uh, if you guys have anything else you want to add, or if you think I missed anything, uh, go ahead. Feel free to email me at videostorewasteland at gmail.com. Uh, this is Brian, and uh, I thank you for joining us here in the Wasteland.